This week is session seven. I am the bread. Jesus provides spiritual food that always satisfies. We'll be in John chapter six, verses 26 through 40. Y'all have done it to me again. This is another passage that as I was going through to look up, look at my notes and stuff I've not taught. <laughs> it's not the, our fault. The passage now in chapter 6, I've taught chapter 6 numerous times, but it's the <laughs> passage before it. So if you haven't figured it out, um, the feeding of the 5,000 is in chapter 6. I've taught the feeding of the 5,000 more than once. More than once. <laughs> yeah. The problem is, is that this, verses 26 through 40, is after the feeding of the 5,000. Well, who teaches after the miracle, right? Well, apparently, this is what Jesus was driving towards. This is the teaching based on the feeding of the 5,000. I've not taught it, so that made for a, a long reading week. As we were going through this, um, we'll see that there's some interesting stuff. But this is going to be after the feeding of the 5,000. So let's, let's get some background going as we uh, start this, because um, I'm sure not a lot of people have been through this particular set, because usually everybody focuses on Jesus feeding the 5,000 and all of that. we got to go back to John chapter 5, which is where we were last week. We only did half the chapter. As we looked at the um, the story, and I, I must apologize, I made a mistake last week um, when I was showing you all the pictures and all that. I kept calling the uh, pool Bethsaida. Bethsaida is actually a city um, north of Galilee. Y'all didn't call me out on it. It's supposed to be Bethesda. Like the hospital. That's the pool. It's Bethesda, not Bethsaida. So I, I have to correct myself. It's one of those things. You're used to Bethsaida. That's a normal, you know, you talk about that all the time and all that. I look at the word and I went with the first thing that my mind came to and it stuck and instead <laughs> of what was actually written there. And Because, I mean, how often do we talk about the pool of Bethesda? Uh, and once something gets stuck, it's tough to get it out. Well, and that, yes, yeah, so that's it. So, um, yeah, nobody called me on it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna correct that. So anyway, last week we were looking at the story of the healing of the lame guy at Bethesda in John chapter five. The second half of it is Jesus dealing with the fallout when he's approached by the Pharisees and all that group. They come, and they're angry because he had broken the Sabbath and all that. And he launches into uh, a whole thing about he's equal with the Father. He's equal to God, which really sets them off. Um, this is really, at least in John's Gospel, the first time that they are really now hacked at him. I mean... Yeah, he drove out the uh, all the money changers and all that early on, but now, now this is this is blasphemy. This is a, you know that was just them. They were annoying the money changers. 
But now he's using God's name in vain. He's claiming equality with God. This is a stonable offense, and they begin to seek his destruction uh, because of it. So John chapter 5, the second half, the end of it, is a corner that gets turned. I mean, Jesus was, was tweaking their nose before with uh, the whole money changers and, you know, I, I've got to be about, uh, you know, this is my father's house and all that. Mm, that was okay. They could live with that. But now he's turned to blaspheming. His, his sayings are becoming problematic and they've got to deal with him. Except that they can't. <clears throat> We come into John chapter 6, and Jesus realizes he needs to return to Galilee because it's not his time. He knows the program. He knows what's going to happen and when it needs to happen. He has not yet hacked off the Pharisees and Sadducees enough that they would drag him to Pilate and demand his execution. He's only made them mad. They're wanting to kill him and all that, but they, he, hasn't, he hasn't made it. He's got to crank it up a little more. He's got more teaching to do so that people understand who God really is and who he's not. Because the God that those people worship is not his father. So he returns to Galilee. And he goes out to a desolate place. And people follow him. And they didn't bring any food. Now... I don't have any pictures of the desolate place. We drove through because we don't know exactly where it took place. Um, if you give me a moment, I will uh, put a map up and we'll, we'll talk about it. But he feeds 5,000 men. We don't know how many women were there. Uh, we don't know how many kids were there. It is estimated that, that there could have been as many as 20,000 people um, present because it's usually more it's it's more than a two to one ratio with women and children to the amount of men. I mean, all you got to do is look. This church is an oddball church. I, I want you to know that. Um, well, you're part of it too. So. Well, I, I, yeah, this church has a lot of men in it. If you go to most churches um, and look around, they're they're mostly women and children. There aren't many men in it, but this church is really. Uh, drawn in uh, a lot of men. The fact that we have uh, an elder board and a, and a deacon board with uh, more than a dozen men on each of them and with rotators that are off, uh, that's unusual. Most churches struggle to get enough uh, men and usually end up filling in with women and stuff. And there just aren't enough. I mean, we've got... Uh, just such a blessing. All our Sunday school classes. There's at least one man in every Sunday school class at every age um, for Sunday school. Now, little kids' classes, well, you know, I mean, babies are cute. It's easy to find grandmas. They want to hold babies. And I don't know why people want to be with the two-year-olds, but we see them with that. I mean, like, two-year-olds? They're two-year-olds. Three-year-olds. Ben Eshelman. Lord bless that man, <laughs> has been teaching four-year-olds through kindergarten for like 20 years. He loves oh, it. Wow. I mean, that age, I just want to kill them. Can we lock them in the closet? <laughs> I know. No. He's got to intimidate them. He's so tall. I, I don't know. He loves it. I've watched him. I understand. He, he, 
goes out to this desolate place, which is this area here. Now, you can see the terrain. If you know how to read a terrain map, this area is flat with the water, and you can see that it kind of it, it starts to slope up. It's more of a, it's a cliff. That area, when we were in Israel, is just fields. Endless fields of grain. I don't know what it was like in Jesus' day, but there's no houses. You don't see anything. You're driving, because we were driving the highways um, through here, and we drove through it. They, they drove through the area, and they're like, this is the desolate place. Because the mountain of Beatitudes um, is somewhere right in this region on this, on this cliff. It overlooks it, um, which is where Jesus does the Sermon on the Mount. It's somewhere out here. It may have been the same place that he fed the 5,000. I don't know. Because we don't know where it is. We know that there's, there is a church out there that the uh, Byzantines built and the Catholics run today um, and, and all that. And if we get to that passage and I'm teaching it, I'll show you. The view is stunning. Um, the way that the land is with the water behind and all that. It's a natural amphitheater, um, so the voice would carry very well. And uh, there, there's absolutely nothing out there. And I mean, you can see it. Now, this red line, this red line is the path, likely, that the disciples took. They came down the mountain to this spring. It's a, yeah, Hepticon Spring. And got on their boat to go back to Capernaum. And that's where Jesus would have walked across the water and caught up with them uh, and all that. Because like I said, this is a cliff face. You can't get to Capernaum from here. You have to go out to the road, which means climbing all the way up to this road, go around, down, and then come back over. Uh, that, was, that was the way it was. There's, there was no way to get along the water there. Uh, you couldn't just walk up the beach. And, and be there. You had the boat. Um, and so that's what he does. And Jesus walks on the water. So that's that's that region. I really don't have any I have pictures of Capernaum, but I'm saving those for when we get to uh, that. But um, questions or comments on where we are? You can see there are no towns. I mean, that Gennesaret uh, would have been the closest place to go get bread. And it isn't a big town, so 5,000 men, 20,000 people. You're not walking into a town of 1,200 and buying bread for 20,000. Uh, it just doesn't happen. All right. Let's get started then. So let's look at this passage. John chapter 6, verses 25 through 29. Somebody read that. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which a Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has sent his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do? What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. 
So we have them, the people are out there. It, it supposes that they spent the night in the wilderness. Um, it's probably a, a decent time of year. It's probably spring. Um, it's warm. Like It was probably around the time that I was in Israel. It was nice. The days were decent. Evenings were, were cool, but not too cold. Um, they would have just rolled up in their cloaks and slept on the mountainside. That was, that was not unusual. Um, they woke up and Jesus is gone. So they scurry back to town, to Capernaum, because that's the big trading port. And they find Jesus there, and they're like, wait, how in the world did you get there, right? But he is dealing with um, <coughs> the real question, isn't he? The real issue. Truly, truly, I say to you, you're not seeking me because you saw signs and wonders and all that. You're seeking me because I fed you. You ever feed a stray cat? <laughs> it isn't interested in you. Cats are never interested in you, right? If you ever own a cat, if it comes and it's rubbing up against you, it wants something. Mm -hmm. yeah. Cats look at you like your staff. Yeah, exactly. Cats, cats, cats don't have owners, they have staff. That's absolutely right. And that's what these guys are doing, right? So here we go. We're still in our outline of John. This is still part two, presentation. Christ is the Son. God. And as we look at this, we see there are wants and desires. The people want to find Christ. They want to find Jesus. And Jesus tells us what's going on. Now we know he knows their thoughts. He knows what's going on in their heads. And he doesn't even really give them a chance to talk, does he? I mean, they start off with the pleasantries of life. Rabbi, when did you come here? You know, I mean, that's, that'd be normal. Hey, we, we found you. We didn't know you'd left. How did you, how'd you do this? Do they really care, though? Yeah, it's kind of like in, in about 30 minutes, we're going to go downstairs. And everybody's like, oh, how you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm doing all right. Do they really want to know as they walk past you? I do it. We all do it. it it's the pleasantries of life. It's being nice. And that's what they are. Jesus is not having any of it. Because he launches into this whole thing. Look, let, let's get right to the truth. I mean, that's the whole idea of truly, truly. This is the truth. This is what you, you're thinking. They're not impressed with Jesus. They're not impressed with him. You, you, okay, you did a miracle. It's not impressive. Just give us more food. That's impressive. Feed our bellies. Let's face it, I'm, you know, hungry. Feed me. Um, that's all they're concerned with. It was what, I mean, food was, was the number one issue of that day. Because most of it went in taxes to the Roman government. 
you either sold what you raised or grew or had for the money to pay your taxes, or you it was confiscated. It would, they would come and take it for their military. See, the Romans did not believe that you could uh, trust merchants. And so their tax base was not based on the merchant class. They were wily, they were shifty, they were untrustable and all that. So the Romans based their tax brackets on land owners and land users. The farmers paid the most taxes. They were trustworthy because they were tied to the land. Can't escape. Merchants, on the other hand, it's just a bag of gold. They put it in their pocket, walk away, and they're gone. So their whole economy, or the, the government's economy, not the like the nation's economy, the government's where they get their money was based on the people that had property. Now, those that were in the government weren't taxable. I mean, why would we tax ourselves? We pay ourselves, right? So they had large tracts of land that were very productive that the government didn't tax. That meant everybody else had to make up for the um, governors and all the all those people. And that included the soldiers that would be retired on lands because they were given land as their retirement and they would work that, but they weren't taxed for it because they were soldiers. So the people had to raise enough crop to, for the government, for their taxes, which were very high, and to live on. So when Jesus feeds them, that's a huge thing. I mean, that's like, wow, this is awesome. And he did it from nothing but five loaves and two fish. I mean, that's, wow, if you could, I, I can make five loaves, I got enough grain, and if we could just multiply that out for days, I wouldn't have to work again. I wouldn't have to, you know, this is, this is the government subsidy handout <laughs> kind of thing. I, I could just live on that. See, I think that's what was great back in, like, I guess it was the 70s. And uh, the government, you know, you get milk, cheese. Well, you can't do a whole lot with milk and cheese. That gets old real quick. You want more than that, you got to get a job, work, go to the grocery store and buy a loaf of bread to go with that milk and cheese. I mean, we... You know, you know what I'm saying? That now, now we just give them that little card. You go to the grocery store and buy whatever you want. Well, of course, they're getting whatever they want. Uh, but when you were stuck eating second-rate government low-grade cheese uh, and the leftover milk that's watered down and, and whatnot, and that butter. You remember that butter? Anybody ever have that? Yeah, that was, that butter was nasty. It didn't taste like butter. It probably wasn't, right? No, it was buttered. It was, but you know, there was like, yeah, you, well, you ever notice on the package, this is grade A butter? Yeah. Well, there are other grades yeah. of butter. And uh, it's usually said, it's usually used in manufacturing, you know, that all those pie crusts they used to make down there at Smith's, uh, Mrs. Yeah. Smith's Pies. Well, they, they don't need to use high quality butter to make a pie crust, they use a little green butter. That's where it went. Well, the government would buy up the surplus and give it away. Yeah. Just give us more food. 
because then we can just, you know, we just have to pay the taxes. Or we could just get rid of the property and we won't be taxed at all. See, that was the, the beauty of being a slave. You're not a property owner. You don't have to pay taxes. You don't owe the government anything. And you get your housing and your food from whoever you're owned by. And slavery was a good deal. Uh, if, you didn't, if you weren't prosperous and ambitious, you just wanted to work. You know, just, just want to work and, and, and make ends meet and all that. That wasn't a bad thing. But that's what they wanted. And Jesus starts in on this whole thing about food that perishes and not perishes. This is reminiscent of another passage, isn't it? Where have we seen this, this sort of thing? Not this exact woman statements. At well. Woman at the well. The woman at the well. Let me give you a spring of living water. That's what you want. And she's like, well, how are you going to do that? I haven't got a bucket. They're like, well, how are you going to do What are you talking about this everlasting food? What is this? They don't get it. They're like, just give us food. We're only interested in food. The woman at the well is just interested in water. See the two? Yeah. Very, they're, they're the same thing. He's talking about you need to believe. Now, they said, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Now, we need to understand the Jewish mindset. Um, Meryl C. Tenney, who's a uh, scholar, um, he explains this. I'm going to read it to you so that you get it. To the Jewish questioners, the attaining of eternal life consisted in finding the right formula for performing works to please God. Okay? So that's the Jewish mindset. I've got to find the right things to do. Every rabbi had their own theories on this. You got to, you know, and the Pharisees all came together and said, okay, these are the rules. And they gave out the rules. Follow these and you'll attain salvation. So to the Jewish questioner, getting eternal life means figuring out God's system. What do I need to do? Jesus directed them to the gift of God that could be obtained only by faith in, in him. Again, there is a similarity to the conversation with the Samaritan woman. The idea being that this. This, Jesus is contradicting directly the presupposition of the people that are, that are after him. The, these people that are following They're wanting bread, and he's talking about eternal life. And they're like, well, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go there. We know you're Jesus, and this is what you're doing. How do we do it then? Just tell us what we need to do. What works do we need to do? Then, then you'll give us bread, right? That, that, that's, that's what's going on. Just what, what do we need to do? We, we need to go knock on 50 doors? We'll go knock on 50 doors. We need to hand out the flyers for you. We need to, bring a, we need to double the number of people here so that you're, you've got a big tent meeting going on, right? We'll, we'll go out and rake them in. Just, just tell us, what, what do you want us to do, Jesus? They don't really care. He says, just believe. He's like, what? Believe? I don't believe in you. You're just some guy. <laughs> the real question is, is, the real question they're asking is, what do we need to do to get the free food? How do we get the all-you-can-eat buffet for nothing? <laughs> you, you following me? 
See, this is really weird, this passage. I mean, nobody really ever comes, and uh, you know, I don't know that I've found, I didn't find any notes that I ever even took on this, hmm. that somebody taught on this. This is a really, really bizarre passage. Questions, comments? All right, we'll move along. This isn't very long, but it is important. John chapter 6, verses 30 through 34. Somebody read it. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Sir, give us this bread always. It's the woman at the well. Give me this water. Again, they're thinking only in their physical form. And they, they I mean, just, just look at this. So, all right, you want us to believe. What sign do you show? I mean, you can just hear the sarcasm rolling off the question, right? What sign are you going to show us? He just fed 5,000 people, or men, 20,000 people, yesterday on five loaves and two fish. They were there. They not only watched it, they participated. So, they're like, and look at this. Our fathers ate the manna from heaven. No big deal. So you fed us. Our forefathers, millions of us, lived in the desert for 40 years on manna. That's not an impressive trick. Show us something more impressive if you want us to believe. We didn't believe in God. I mean, God was raining manna down from heaven every day. And quail in the evenings. And we didn't believe in him then, did we? And they were thrilled with the manna. Yeah, and they were thrilled with it. Like, this is nothing. Cheap parlor trick. Show us something better. They're too sophisticated for this. They don't, they don't care. I mean, they just want the bread. But if, if you're going to want us to believe in you, step up your game. Moses has already done it. Been there, done that, you know. Right? Here's what it is. The crowds loved Jesus for what they could get out of him. Preferably another free lunch. When he spoke again of the Father, they seemed ready to respond, but they rejected him more vehemently. Look, we're not buying into you being something great. Show us something important. Show us something amazing. This is what our world is doing today, isn't it? If your God's so great, do something. Otherwise, get out of the way. We've got better ideas than your old, tiny religion your old dusty documents that are thousands of years old. We're progress. Show us something otherwise. I mean, if not, you know, we're, we're moving forward. We, we've got a place to get to. Um, and your religion's nice and all that. It feels good at Christmas. And we, we, we like your Easter. We'll take those, but, but get back in the closet. Right? Are we dealing with the same thing? The world is not impressed with scripture it's not impressed with our Jesus 
Yeah, they're impressed with their Jesus. Now, you know, you see all the ads. They've recrafted him. He goes, is your Jesus as good as our Jesus? Come on. Jesus isn't going to judge us. He's too loving, right? Yeah, but things really haven't changed. So manna. They're like, okay, we had bread. So did our forefathers. Bread is no big deal. Moses did that one. Come on, you got to go one better. You got to do one more. Give us an impressive sign. We want something that truly shows that you are God. Now, I'm willing to bet some of these guys were following John. John the Baptist is dead by this point. Um, more than likely, uh, he died. Uh, so a lot of these people probably had followed John at some point in time. Some of them may have actually even been there the day Jesus was baptized and God bellowed from the heavens, this is my son. I'd be willing to bet some of these guys were there. But they're like, give us an impressive sign. And Jesus is like, mm -mm, nope. God has already given you the best sign. What is it? Yeah. Him. Him, yeah. God gives the breath of, bread of life. It's me. They're like, <laughs> come on, you're from Nazareth. We know who your father is. They weren't impressed. And that was probably said with a snicker because <coughs> they knew that Mary and Joseph. That is possibility, yes, that they remember that he's the oldest and that, you know, there was this whole mm -hmm, yeah, going on there. Uh, we don't know where you're actually from. Yeah. So this is the this is what's going on. Now this is early in Jesus' ministry here, right? Mm -hmm. They're not against him. But they're challenging whether or not he's really that important. I mean, okay, you're a rabbi. You've done a few tricks. So maybe you're a prophet. But you want to be in the major leagues, you got to step up your game. <clears throat> Comment, question. There's that whole mindset that nothing good can come out of Nazareth. <laughs> so that includes him, I guess, in there. Yeah. And yeah, it really does. <laughs> they were as skeptical in that day as we are today. I mean, you stop the average person on the street in downtown Pottstown and try and talk about Jesus with them. <laughs> They're pretty darn skeptical, aren't they? Which Bible are you going to use? I mean, they've got, they got all their, their rhetoric. You know, people, people do. Or um, if you were to just even talk with a family member who's unsaved, unchurched. <laughs> They're like, what are you talking about? That's old stuff. Nobody cares. Here they are. They're doing it to Jesus himself. And these are his people. And he's performing miracles. I mean, okay, this isn't downtown Jerusalem where he just healed that guy in Bethesda. I mean, that, that was impressive, right? I mean, we read this stuff and we're, we're awed. We're wowed. You know, 
know, this is this is Jesus, and we're looking at these people and going. But this was every day for them. People were showing up and claiming to be the Messiah. Okay, you're another Messiah. You're the fourth one through here this week. <laughs> well, but that's our world, isn't it? You're the fourth guy to knock on my door this week to tell me about Jesus. I mean, come on, we all get tired of going to the door and you're finding a, a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, or some other whatever. I'm like, all right, what do you want? And we don't even live in the world of the door-to-door -door salesman. I mean, that used to, the, the guy, the Fuller Brushman, that, you know, the Fuller Brushman. Boy, we would get in so much trouble because it was inevitable a Saturday morning and that my father would finally not have to go into work that day. So he's sleeping in, and the fuller brush man, doo, 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 doo. we were kids, you know, you go to the door, you answer it to see who it is. Then we're up there knocking on mom and dad's like, there's a man at the door that wants to talk to you. <laughs> you come living at 55 and older, they don't allow any salesmen in. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't, I, don't, yeah, I don't know that there are door-to-door -door salesmen anymore. No, not really. I mean, you know, usually you, you, you call and make an appointment, they come. So, I mean, there are, but there aren't. You text everybody. Yeah. And Amazon. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, Amazon, even you've already trash, bought the product. Even there. trash companies, though, they come door to door to try to get your business. Really? Yeah, because they have, they have come to my door. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can on my door. They just had certain yeah. areas that they just yeah. did. Yeah. There's a lot of restrictions about where they can do that. Yeah, like yeah that's true. Cindy? It is just amazing what God's Word says. There's nothing new under the sun. Hmm. And that's what we're seeing today. Everything that Jesus. In their time, we really are experiencing that. Yeah, we we are. Yeah. Uh, it, it's you know this is a post-Christian um, country. Really, we are. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's true. We were a Christian country. We we had Christian principles, and the average person respected the not just the Christian view, but the, the, the whole biblical mindset as a way of life. And we don't anymore. In the last 10 years, it has turned and dropped dramatically to the point that most people don't care. I don't know if you saw Chris's post about the uh, survey that uh, Lifeway had published. Uh, some of those answers, it, I mean, that's really sad. Uh, that people in churches, this is what they believe. Uh, if you didn't see it, go and look for it. Uh, he posted on Facebook, on his blog, I think, um, the results of a survey of, I think it was 100 questions, I don't remember. I only perused it because it wasn't anything I was surprised. I used to do that when I taught. Um, the first thing I would do is the first day in class, I would give everybody uh, a test. To see basic, they loved you, huh? well, but it was it was basic Bible questions, like who came first, David or Abraham? And I would do that. I did that with adults, and most couldn't tell you the order of whether David, Abraham, Job, uh, Noah, what order they came in. We know the stories, but we don't know where they fit. Which is why the Sunday school classes that I've been doing over the years here have been whole studies and laying out the context of everything because we need to understand all that. Because we live in a post-Christian society. That's not being taught. Most of you in here 
probably are the last generation to have had prayer in school and maybe even Bible readings, not teaching, but Bible readings <coughs> in school, in public school back in the day. We got rid of that before I was born. I mean, uh, I was 1970, what was it, 60, 62? Something like that, so, uh, you know. I never experienced it, but that's the beginning of where it started to end, where society was no longer in that mindset. As that generation was coming up, they didn't know. I was just going to say, I came across, um, when I was in fifth grade, our teacher gave us all New Testaments. Yeah. And this was a public school. Yeah. And I still had it. I'm like, wow, I don't think they do this anymore. No, you'd be gone. You, you'd be fired. And the Ten Commandments were posted on the class. Sure, yeah. sure. The, all that, all that sort of stuff. Well, I remember that. I mean, we still had a lot of it when I was in, when I was a kid in the early '70s. It, it hadn't disappeared yet. But as those, as that generation grew up without that knowledge, they're now becoming the people in charge. And what's happened is, is we've moved from a Christian nation to a post-Christian nation because they don't know anything about it, and the world has been teaching, you know, that it's not important, and there we are. So he, this is where we're at. And Jesus is dealing with the very same thing. He's the bread of life. No, you're not. We don't know what you are, but just feed us. Give us a donut, and we'll go on. All right, so let's move on. John chapter uh, 6, verses 35 through 40. Somebody read those for us. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and he whosoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. All right. So here's the crux of the teaching that Jesus is trying to do. This is a summation of everything that he taught, likely, the day before, on the mount of the feeding of the 5,000. He's been teaching. And John doesn't give us a lot of teaching. As we go through the Gospel of John, he's got a pretty good balance of action and explanation. And so here it is. We had the first half of chapter 6. That was all the action. And we've skipped all that, the walking on the water and all that. But this is his teaching. This is the explanation. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not... Hunger. Is he talking about physical hunger? No. He's not talking about real food. We get that, right? His audience is only thinking with their stomach, right? We haven't had breakfast yet. We woke up, you were gone, and we ran to town to find out what happened to you. And we need some munchies. We got the munchies. <laughs> it was a long run. We're tired. We're hungry. Quit talking. Feed it. Just tell us what we need to do so that we can get some breakfast. Um, and what, we're, what he's actually talking about seems to be 
a running theme, though. To be satisfied. He's talked about this before, hasn't he? He's talked about it actually several times in the passages we've looked at. We've got a hunger. We have a thirst. We have a need, a desire that can't be met by the physical world. That's what it comes down to, right? As we look at the teachings that he's had, that man last week needed to be healed. There was nothing he could do about it physically, himself and all that. The woman at the well was thirsty. These people are hungry. There is an innate desire that we have that's not fulfillable through the physical world. We try to, don't we? In their day, they tried. In our day, in our capitalistic society, it's taken total advantage of it, hasn't it? Materialism. Everybody rouse against materialism. Oh, there isn't really, where it's evil. The acquisition of stuff. Well, why do you need stuff? Well, because I need stuff. It'll make me happy, right? Isn't that what all the ads teach? It's funny. This theme just keeps copping up, doesn't it? It comes around and around and around. As we study, there is a desire. It's actually all through Scripture. If you really, if you really want to deal with it, go back and look at the, the major events in Scripture. David and Bathsheba. He had a desire to fulfill something, and he used her. We look at um, just went out of my head. the uh, judge, uh, Samson. He had a desire. Delilah tried to fill it with that. We, we see it over Cain, Abel. Ooh. Cain had a desire. He wanted to be pleased by God. His brother was getting in the way. I get rid of him, then God's got nobody else to be pleased with. He'll be pleased with me. There's a desire that needs to be satisfied, and it's, it's God. We're, we're missing him. That relationship that was broken in the garden that we keep swearing isn't important, and we do. The world grows again. We don't need God. Quit talking to me about God. I don't need him. He doesn't even exist. But we keep trying to fill that desire, right? That hunger. Because that's what we were created for. No, we weren't. No, 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 no. We were, we're, we're just, um, what are we? Oh, we're sludge that, that formed together. And we create these ridiculous ideas. And that's just as ridiculous as the ancient world. Oh, well, see, the gods got together and they were playing a game. And somebody took a goat and slapped it together with a giraffe, and they put this there, and, the, and all of a sudden, mankind was born, right? <laughs> they, I mean, these are the kinds of crazy stories they have, you know. Or there was this great epic battle between these two deities, and the blood spilled upon the planets, and on Earth, man rose up out of it from a drop of blood from whoever's, you know, leaped sword and whatever, right? They, they got these epic stories. Well, we got the epic story, right? Sludge millions of years ago. The primordial soup and two bizarre mutated genes came together 
and poof, it created a cell. And that cell thought to itself, I need a brother. And so he divided it in half and they, they clung together and, you know, you end up with... You should write a book. <laughs> but I've been spending my life studying this in everywhere I go, every culture, every epic, every history, everything. It all comes back to one thing. We're trying to explain away our need for God. We weren't created by him. We don't need him. We don't want him. We can do without him. And he really doesn't even exist. Just leave me alone and give me my stuff. Because we want to be satisfied. We don't want to be satisfied with him. Because we don't want to have to answer to him. And Jesus says, no, no, believe in me. I'm the bread. You want to eat something? Eat me. Consume me. Drink me. And you'll be satisfied. I'm the thing that's going to fulfill you. We search and spend our lives looking for contentment. This is why little children go from thing to thing to thing to thing. You put out the toys, and they'll play with every toy in the basket for about five seconds. <laughs> right? And now all the toys are all over the floor, and they're still not happy. They get a little older, and what do they do? They're coming, they're tugging on you. I'm bored. How can you be bored? There's $10,000 of toys in the other room. What are you bored with? And then Christmas comes along. They play with the box. Oh, no. well, they, well, yeah, they for about five seconds. But Christmas comes along, and what comes with it? Well, back in my day, it was the Sears catalog. And, man, we get that sucker, we open it, and we start circling. Where's that magic marker? I want this one. He wants that one. My sister wants this one. And we, you know, then we give it to our parents. Here you go. Right? Contentment. We're still not content. Buy everything on that, which never happened. But does it bring contentment? No. So then we grow up. You get straight A's and all the praise from your parents that you want. Are you content? No, you fail miserably because you can't stand it. You go out and get a, hard, get a job and all that. And you're making the big money. You're still not content. So then you buy the big house. You get the perfect spouse. The trophy husband. You know, the white picket fence. And you're still not content. So you're, you run off with the, the, the guy at the gym. Or the gal at the office, right? Do you find contentment yet? No, because you go from that one, you divorce this one, you marry that one, and find out it's not any better. Not any better. So I try again, right? Five divorces down the road. Are we content? No. We're trying to fill that thing, right? So we buy the we buy the flashy sports car. We get the hair redone. Going to get the plugs so that you got more hair. <laughs> Gold chains and wander around on the beach. Yeah, man. Back, I'm 20 years old again, right? No, you're like 80. Dude, put that away. Nobody wants to see it, right? Why? Because we're trying to find contentment in everything that isn't the bread of life, the spring of living water. He told us we won't listen. And here's the real thing. We want to find contentment to be satisfied. But every time we find something, it just goes away. It's unlosable. 
I don't know if that's really a word. But I'm using it. The contentment Jesus is offering is unlosable, he says in this passage. It can't be taken away. People want to look at this and say, well, see, it's salvation. You can't lose your salvation. It's not that you can't lose your salvation. You can't lose Jesus. Once you've taken him, he's not going away. We look at it from our side, but it's really from his side because he's the one who says it. You belong to me now. I will make you satisfied forever. I am the all-time, long-standing satisfaction, and you're not going to lose satisfaction. You're not going to get bored after five minutes and put me in a closet and forget I even exist. I'm the real deal. I'm the wild ride of life that is always thrilling. <clears throat> not only is it satisfying, not only is it unlosable, it's eternal. This is going to go on forever. This is it. I, it's that relationship with Christ that we are looking for. That's what satisfies. When we are in him and we discover that satisfaction, everything else in our life now makes sense. It not only makes sense, but it puts everything in perspective to allow us to accept the tragedies of life because I have satisfaction in Christ. He becomes the meaning and value and everything else is just filling in. It's how we experience him. I experience Christ through my relationships with you and my relationships with everybody out there, whether it be nature. I look at nature and go, wow, that's amazing. God has made this so that I could view it and go, wow. It didn't need to be wow. It could have just been okay. It could have been mediocre. God didn't need to make it so amazing. The whole thing that we have the ability to see color. The animals don't. Very few animals can actually see it in color. They can't enjoy a sunset. But I can. And it's satisfying when I sit there and I look at that. Because I perceive it as something Christ did for us in creation. He put those systems in place that make the, color, the, the colors the way they are. The way the sky pops. And now my satisfaction in him permeates everything. And so now when I'm dealing with people, I'm seeing it through him and with him. And how, how that works. See, that's what he offers. This is what it means to be satisfied. It isn't how much stuff. It isn't how much accomplishment. How much people see me it's about them the problem was is that they weren't getting it just as our world's not getting it today Jesus is standing there they're witnessing it they don't get it and here I'm going to show you this is what's actually going on unlosable is a word I just looked it up yeah. <laughs> C.H. Spurgeon I think he says it those who seek Jesus Christ with the groveling desire to make a gain of godliness are hypocrites of the meanest order. Like Judas, they will follow the Lord while they can steal from the bag. 
And like that son of perdition, they will sell him when the 30 pieces of silver are the reward of treachery. These people were chasing after Jesus to get something out of him. Judas, the whole reason he's with Jesus is because he kept the money bag. And it says he was stealing out of it. He was taking it. He was not interested in Christ. Now, this, this is the question, man. Why? 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 Are you a believer? Is it because you're getting something out of Christ? You think you're going to be saved from hell? That's a thing. You will be. But are you following him out of fear of that? Or are you following him out of a choice to be satisfied in him? See, that's the deeper thing. We go around and most evangelistic methods are to offer people the consequences. Hell or heaven. Well, who in the right mind is choosing hell? <laughs> but it's not hell or heaven. That, that's not the issue. It's satisfaction in Christ. Do you want him? Do you want the bread of life? Are you willing to make him the whole enchilada in your life? Are you eating him? I mean, that's that, that, that sounds so crazy, right? Cannibalism, right? We're going to eat him. But we devour him to satisfy our soul in order to be filled. We need to be turning to him for everything. He's the satisfaction, the bread, the water, the healing. We often come to him originally for the wrong reasons. These people had come to him in Capernaum because they just wanted to eat. <clears throat> and when they got there, he says, look, there, there's more to it than this. And they got mad. They're like, you're, you're not that important. Because they are this groveling desire. People do this. They, they come to church. They come to Christ because they just want something. They don't want to be caught in heaven. They want to be good enough. They want to be whatever. And so their, their desire isn't for Christ. They're not looking forward to an eternity with him. They're looking for an eternity where they're not going to be consumed in the eternal lake of fire. And they can go on about their business and do whatever it is they want to do. So they want to go to purgatory instead. Right, yeah. They're, they're basically wanting to be able to live their life their way, the way they want, in heaven. <laughs> and that's not what it is. See, me, I, I can't wait because I want to be there. I, I want to sit and listen to him. I have yet to be sit under his teaching. I want to sit as the apostles did at the feet and ask my unteen billion questions, like where the why the mosquito, Lord, explain how it fits in the system. But that's what I want to do. I desire. I love study. I love the 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 understanding, and I can't wait for it to happen. But I'm not there yet. These people. They just wanted to eat. I can't wait for the banquets. I want to see what kind of cuisine Jesus serves at his yeah. banquet. Mm -hmm. I've been to a lot of banquets. I've eaten a lot of food all over the world. <coughs> I, 
can't wait to see what he serves. That's going to be interesting. And then I want the recipe. <laughs> I'm going to sit and swap recipes with him. As long as you Where's, do lasagna, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's what it is. People just want to get what they can get from you. Give me whatever you got, and I'm going to keep on going, because there's more life over there. He is the life. I saw a hand back there. Cindy. That's why we need to guard ourselves, because we, we're losing the wonderment of what Jesus is truly all about. Without him, we're nothing. And with him, all things are possible. So as a believer, and thank you for bringing all of this out and reminding us again who we are in Christ. You are welcome. All right. Let's move on. This time's up. <laughs> All right, a couple, couple of things to take with us this week as we uh, go. We must examine our motives for following Jesus. Why are you doing it? And be honest with yourself. You might need to change your mindset a little bit. And then secondly, our security is through faith in Jesus. That's what we've got to hold on to. That's what makes it all possible. He's the bread of life. All of it, all of life comes through him. And if we can hang on to that, this world makes a whole lot more sense and is a whole lot easier to deal with than the rest. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for sending the sun, the bread the wellspring. He's the all that we need. He's the satisfaction we are looking for. Lord, help us to grasp and hold on to it and remember it every day that he is our satisfaction. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>